verses 11 and 12 and talk about it here for a little bit. 2 Samuel 23, verse 11. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, Agi the Hararite, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. We're going to talk this morning about standing when others flee. We're, we've been talking a lot about taking a stand for the Lord in the last few weeks, identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ privately and publicly through our words, through our lives, through our actions, even when it's costly. I say it all the time. It's easy to live for God here. Where everybody's a Christian. We're all here for one purpose, to worship the Lord. It's a lot more difficult to step out in a world that doesn't know Him. And the world, by its wisdom, crucified the Lord. It's our sins that put Him there, but that is the picture of the wisdom of the world. In a nutshell, to crucify the Savior that was brought to them. We're reading about, in, the, in that passage, a man named Shama. We don't know him. We know what the Scripture tells about him. But this is recorded in God's Word as part of... And I'm quoting from the beginning of this chapter. The, these be the last words of David. Okay? The last words of David. I've always thought when you're going to share your last words. And you know that they're your last words. Like Paul at the end of his life. Right? I've fought the good fight. Finished my course. And he, he encourages Timothy and the, and the body of Christ. Uh, when you're writing your last words. They're going to be thought out. They're going to be weighed. They're going to not be wasted breath. A lot of times we just talk out of our head and say things that we don't even remember. Nobody else remembers. But these be the last words of David. He goes on to say, the spirit of the Lord spake by me. And his word was in my tongue. And these are a list of the mighty men of David. You ever studied that before or read it? David had these mighty men. He, had, he was the king of Israel, the one that was after God's heart that God placed in place of Saul, and that's the one I believe he always had intended to put there, he made an eternal covenant with David, and then his, his sons after him like Solomon and so forth. But these were a list of his mighty men. David was a warrior. David was a fighter as well as a king. And he had mighty men. He had soldiers. He had people that served under him and for him with the same heart and the same mind and, and, and doing what was right. And this was a list. There's 37 of them that are listed here. The same list is found in, in uh, 1 Chronicles 11. We don't have time to read the whole chapter. But it says, these be the names of the mighty men whom David had. Shammah was one of them. Some of them are named. And then they're, what they did, or at least some of the highlights of what they did to be in this hall of fame, so to speak, were, are recorded there. We know, we know what they did, some of them. Some of them, just their names are listed as the list goes on further. But one of the notable characteristics that we see in these mighty men of David is that they stood when others fled. They stood when others fled. There's something to be said for that. They held their ground, okay, in the face of great opposition. They, they defended God. They defended His name. They defended his people. They defended his land. In the face of great opposition, they were faithful to what they were called to do and what they had their conviction to do. And I'm talking about in a godly sense. 
Some people have wrong convictions and some people are, are, are committed to a wrong or unjust cause or a false God even. But these were men that did what was right and they, they stood and fought when others fled. And that was a notable characteristic about their lives. And a little bit that we do know from, from these chapters that are recorded about them. And can I tell you that's still a notable characteristic of a mighty man or woman today or young person. To stand and fight and do what's right when others flee. To stand and do what's right, that's still a notable characteristic. The battle may be physical, like it was for these guys. The battle will certainly be spiritual, that we fight. It may be recorded in the Bible, like it is for these guys, or it may not be known to anybody this side of heaven. In other words, the Lord knows and nobody else saw but you stood and uh, an individual or you or me stood and did what was right. And that is still a characteristic, a characteristic of a mighty man or woman of God. This is something that, uh, that the Lord takes note of. It's great. It's noble. It's, it's noteworthy. Standing and fighting. Staying and fighting for what is right. When others flee, staying and fighting for the name of the Lord, as it may be, as this is what we're really talking about this morning, when others don't, when others should, but don't, when others know better and don't, and don't do what's right. And what happens is people can be bought out. People sell out their countries, right? People sell out their countries for money. Whole country that people fought and bled and died for, they sell it out for money or for power. We've seen it, we've seen it in our day. Sold out. People sell out. People do what's right for a while, but then, you know, somebody has said that every man has his price. I think that would be true if you, if you took the Lord out of the equation. Because when you put the Lord in the equation, every man does not have his price. That man's already been bought and paid for. He's already been bought, been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. So he's not going to sell out because he's been bought already and purchased. But people have their price and they sell out. It's amazing how people will do what's right and say what's right up to a point. And that point may be different for different people. It comes a point if the money's high enough, they'll sell out. If the threat of violence or their life or their children is great enough, they sell out. They become self-preservationists all of a sudden. And these mighty men are not self-preservationists, by the way. They're committed to the Lord. They're committed to the cause, and that commitment is a commitment. It's a full-blown commitment without a second or third place. There's not a 90% commitment. It's a commitment to the Lord. This is why we're still talking about these mighty men today. Because they stood and fought when others fled. And I thought about, we know the... The, the story, I'm calling an account of Job in the Bible. As far as I know, I mean, besides the Lord Jesus, and, and maybe there's people we don't know, but in the Bible, I've never seen a man that had more heartache and trial and tragedy come to his life in such a short period of time. And really, it wasn't due to sin in his own life. I'm not saying he wasn't a sinner. I'm saying the tragedies that came to his life in tri trials were not as a result of sin. They were simply a testing from the Lord. And I want to talk about, because I'm saying every man has his price. I want to give an example of somebody who was hurt, 
who was devastated, who was confused, who cried out to God in confusion, and yet he didn't sell out. He didn't sell out his walk with God. This is the second time. We know Satan came and brought this tragedy in Job's life. The Lord allowed it. Okay? Satan, the Lord gave Satan this much authority in Job's life. He took his cattle, his sheep, his possessions, even his children, the first go around. I mean, immediately, one after the other. Okay? Then he comes back again. And I want to read this. You don't have to turn, but if you're taking notes, this is Job chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. And the Lord said unto Satan, has, this is the second time, remind you, has thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect man and upright, one that fears God and shuns or escheweth evil, and still he holds his fast his integrity. He's still doing it, Satan. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. We know the story. The Lord says, okay, Satan, you can't kill him, but you can do other things to his physical body, to his skin, to his bones. And Satan was moved to do these things. Satan was sure that this man had a price. You know, I took his stuff away and even his children, but a man will curse you. If I start coming against to take his life from him, he's going to curse you. God says, go ahead. And he comes against him and he attacks his body with boils and sicknesses and so forth. And he's sitting there in a, in a, on an ash heap uh, of ash and he doesn't know what's going on. And he trusts God. Amen. And he trusts God. And he didn't sell out. That's a mighty man. Amen. That'd be one of God's mighty men. We don't know of anything he did. He battles, he fought or anything. But he didn't sell out. He stood and fought the devil. And didn't even know what was going on. And he stayed true to the Lord. And, and y'all, when these standing and fighting when others don't, standing and fighting when you may have to fight alone. Job didn't know what was going on. His wife, I hate to say it, was no help. His wife says, go ahead and guess what? Curse God and die. Like the devil talked to her. And she listened. He's taking everything from you, God. If he's really God, he doesn't love you. Curse God and just die and be done with this pain. You speak as a foolish woman, he said. He didn't sell out. And these trials that believers go through, I'm talking about believers, these trials to stand and to fight, God gives us opportunities like that. We need to really start looking at it differently. This is an opportunity from God for me. This trial is an opportunity. This testing is to come for me to come through like pure gold, like Job. This is an opportunity for me to, to stand and stay and fight. God's given me, maybe there's not a million of those. Maybe there's one or two in a man's life, or a person's life, where we have an opportunity to stand when others don't. 
And it's an opportunity for God, two things that I see, it's an opportunity for God to work in and through and for his people. In other words, on our behalf. It's an opportunity, if I'll stand and won't sell out, it's an opportunity for God to work on my behalf and to show himself mighty, to show that he's not afraid of the fight. He's not afraid of it. To show that, that he has no rival or compare. He stands alone as God Almighty. It's not just a name, as his name. Almighty. And when we stand and when others are not, when we stand in the face of great opposition, it's an opportunity for God to work on our behalf. And it's an opportunity for God to be glorified. To be glorified in and through his people. Whereas if I fled, if I sold out to save face, to save my neck, so to speak, to save my skin, skin for skin, yeah, man, I'll curse God to save his life. We well, don't have to. God will help us. And so I just want to mention some of these people. We're not going to go into great detail, but if you're still in 2 Samuel 23, you can just sort of follow along. And verse 8 is the first one that's mentioned. The, these, these be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachamite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino. Adino, I'm sorry. The Esnite. He lift up his spear. Look at what he did. Now, we, we don't know everything he did in his life, but we know this thing, and this must have what, been what he did that put him in this position. He's the first one mentioned. Lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. Now, it would be enough if a soldier's fighting the enemy and they plan little sneak attacks and this night they kill one or two and they sneak up on some more, sleeping and kill one or two. He lift up his spear and killed 800 at once. Now, you know that that's not possible. He's fighting against soldiers, by the way, not an infant nursery, okay? He, he lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at once. Uh, the next it says is Eleazar in verse 9. And he said he defied the Philistines that were gathered together in battle. And the men of Israel were gone away. So here's, here's this man Eleazar. And the Philistines are gathered for the purpose of battle. And the, all the, the Jews, all the Hebrews, doesn't say they fled. But it says they were going away. So he's by himself. And it says in verse 10, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord brought a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to spoil. Because he won, because he stood in fight, he gave an opportunity for God to show himself strong on behalf of his life and for God to wrought or win a great victory. And then the people followed and come running up and they came only to spoil or clean up the mess to steal some of the take some of the sheep or cattle or whatever uh, and then we mentioned Shama already and then the, the Bible records in verses 13 through 17 three, three of David's soldiers they broke through a host of Philistines a host is like a, a whole troop it's a whole army of Philistines three of these men broke through their ranks 
went all the way back to Bethlehem, got some water out of the well at Bethlehem, and brought it back to David because they just heard him under his breath basically say, oh, I'd sure like to have some of that water from that well in Bethlehem. And they heard him, and they wanted to please their king, and they went and did it. They broke through a post, and they had to break back through, I'm sure, to get the water to David. Then the Bible, in verse 18, speaks, speaks of Abishai. It says, he lifted up his spear against 300 and slew them. And I'm thinking about these two guys mentioned lifted up their spear. Now, we know it's a physical weapon, but, but honestly, y'all, a lot of people have spears. All the soldiers had spears, but they didn't lift them up all the time in battle. Eleazar lifted up his spear against 800 and slew him at once. This man lifted up his spear against 300 whom he slew at one time. If we got a spear, I'm thinking about what do we have? We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Ghost in us, in this everlasting gospel that He's given us. And do we lift it up? Do we lift it up or do we just keep it tied to our side? Got a spear and it's perfect, nothing wrong with it, but I never lift it up. When this man lifted it up, he killed 300 at once. Okay? And then it goes on, Benai, in verse 22 through 23. This is the guy on my football team, okay? By the way, if you look at him in verse 20 through 23, it says in the Bible, he slew two lion like men. I don't really know what that is, but that's how the Bible describes them. They were men, they weren't animals. But they were lion-like men. They must have been fierce. They must have been something else. Okay? He slew two lion-like men. And what else did Beniah do? Beniah jumped down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And then, to top it all off, there was an Egyptian, the Bible says, obviously was an enemy at this time, who was a goodly man. And I looked up that word. What does it mean, goodly? It means almost like a pattern. In other words, like he would have been the model of what a man should be. He, he was a goodly man. And the Bible says that this man, Benai, only had a staff in his hand. The staff is what a shepherd uses. Okay? All he had in his hand was a staff. And he went and took the spear from the Egyptian and killed him with it. I want him in, in my football team. I want him if I get lost on, you know, out in the woods somewhere. And these are, are mighty men, but there's something to admire and to take note of and, and to honor when an individual stands against something greater than themselves with a conviction with a purpose, when, when your buddies to your left and right all flee and you're left alone. That's what Shama did. It was a field full of lentils, that's beans. It was a bean field. He stood his ground and defended it and killed a whole host of Philistines. And so we, we see this and we take note of it, but I can tell you what else, God takes note of it. He's the one that helps us to do it in the first place. But he takes note of it and he comes to our aid. Not for standing for any, any kind of cause we want to. And a lot of people do that. They jump on the social justice bandwagon and this cause and that cause. And they want 
they want God to come along and help them because they think it's right. I'm talking about standing for Jesus, staying for his name's sake, standing for the word of God, the truth of the word of God, that he's the only Savior and Lord and there is no other. And this is what he said in his word and standing for it and upon it. God will always come to the aid of that individual. Mm -hmm. There's something noteworthy in that, and heaven takes note of it mm -hmm. as well. God takes note, and God helps us. All these mighty men, and many others through history, as I said, we don't even know their names, of whom, it says in Hebrews 11, and of whom the world was not worthy. The world's not worthy of these folks. We don't even know their names. We can name generals and presidents and, you know, this leader and that leader and this movie star and this athlete. But there's people that we don't even know their names and God says of them. That's who I want to speak well of me, the Lord. Amen? God says the world's not worthy of these folks. They all obtained a good report by faith. A good testimony by faith. They did what they did. Whatever they did, they faced death by, by faith in the Lord. And so... When we take that stand for what's right in Jesus' name, for a just cause, because God calls it just, and God gives the wisdom to, to go through it, the courage to stand, the skill and the might to go through it. And all of these that we mentioned here, and I mentioned Job, and we could mention others that you would think of, all prevailed by faith. They all prevailed because the Lord was with them, because the Lord strengthened them and enabled them, because they were doing what he wanted them to do. I know it's a simple truth. Again, we don't go out and do what we want to do and say, God, help me. I'm facing a mob here. I'm the only one standing. We do what he calls us to do in his word, and he helps us Amen. and strengthens us. And wins a great victory, maybe through our life, through our stand right there. He does it. I want to just read some of this. Again, if you're still in, in uh, 2 Samuel, look at chapter 22 and pick up with me and read verse 30. Now here's David talking. For by thee I have run through a troop. By my God I have leaped over a wall. Well, you know, we just talked about a guy that's hand was so tired from killing 800 people he couldn't let go of the sword it was, it was like fused to the sword and here's David saying what, what God by thee by my God I have run through a troop by my God I've leaped over a wall skip down to verse uh, 33 God is my strength and my power and he maketh my way perfect he maketh my feet like hinds feet, as like a deer, and setteth me upon my high places. He teaches my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken in my arms. Nobody can do that, break a bow of steel. He does it. The Lord does it through him. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, and, has, and my feet did not slip. And then he says, we'll close with this. I have pursued my enemies and destroyed them and had turned again, not turned not again until I consumed them. He's given all the glory to God, but he did incredible things. He did incredible things. We didn't mention David and Goliath, right? When he was just a boy killing that giant. 
he says a similar thing. And I'm going to read this from, from Psalm 18. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Like we talked about in Sunday school. And cried unto my God, and he heard my voice out of his temple. And my cry came before him, even into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. It had to be what was taking place with these other mighty men. God intervening. God stepping in. It was not just a man that was that much stronger than 800 Philistines, for example. Then the earth shook and trembled. And the, the foundations of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and shot out lightnings and discomfited them. He sent from above and took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me, for they were too strong for me. But God did it. God did it when he took a stand. God did it when he had this spear and he lifted it up. Amen. And he'll do the same for you and for me. It's taking a stand, even if we have to stand alone. Then you're going to see the, him move, the, you know, shake the heavens and the earth and thunders and send out his arrows from, and deliver you and me from them that hate us and deliver us from them that are too strong for us. There are people that are too strong for us. It's society and the way it's going. It's too strong for us. It's not too strong for God Almighty. Amen. He's not looking for numbers. He's looking for a commitment. He's looking for a stand. Somebody that stands. Somebody stand up and take a stand and say, I'll live here and I'll die here. I'm standing here. And he'll show himself mighty through that one. And win a great victory through our lives. Death, it has to be a just cause. It has to be his cause. And I'll say this, even if one that stands and fights for the Lord falls in battle, so to speak, they still prevail. Because those that were mentioned in Hebrews 11 that I talked about early, earlier, it says some of them were delivered from the mouths of the lions and some were uh, turned to put the armies to flight and so forth. But it says some of them were sawn asunder. And some of them wandered around and and, you know, live in destitute in animal skins and live in caves and hide now. But every one of them prevailed. We can't ever forget that. This world's not our home. I say it, we know it. We know it to be true. But every one of them prevailed by faith in God. They fought for what was right. God helped them. God strengthened them. God rewarded them. The ones that were delivered from the mouth of the lions and the ones that were sawn asunder are both in heaven today, by the way. Both of them. I've heard this definition of a hero. A hero stands when everyone else flees. Another definition, a hero is the one who hangs on just a little longer. A lot of people go this far, this far, I can't hang on any longer, they quit. The hero hangs on a little longer. Just a little longer. You know, to, to get somebody out of a burning building. They stay just a little bit longer. When people say, I can't take the heat anymore, and they flee. The hero stays a little longer. 
And it's not that the hero isn't afraid. It's that he or she does what's right in spite of their fear. They do what's right in face of the fear. And I can tell you this, and I'm going to bring, bring this to, the, to really the point of the message this morning. Such men and women and young people, and that we use David's mighty men as our example, such men and women and young people are needed in our day. In our day, in Christ's church, nothing special perhaps in themselves, but mighty in Christ. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, okay, this would be us, brethren. So these are Christian brothers. How that not many wise after the flesh and not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught or to nothing things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. I know we know that that passage, that we know that passage, but you know, if we were doing things, probably in our intelligence, we would want, we get the biggest guy, the strongest guy, the fastest guy, the most eloquent speaker, the sharpest, the most witty. Get, get that guy to represent us. And God has purposely chosen the foolish things and the base and the things that are even weak. It could be somebody unhealthy, you know, physically weak. It could be somebody that's shorter than everybody else. It could be somebody that doesn't have a loud, booming voice. It, and this is the ones, if we're committed to Christ, he chooses. He chooses that very one or those very ones to bring to nothing the worldly things that are so strong and powerful. And he brings them down to nothing. Why did he do it that way? Well, he's God, but he tells us here he did it that way in verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. That I wouldn't beat my chest and say, you use me, you use me. See, I showed him. It would be, no, all glory to God. You used me, you chose to use me. I take no credit for it. I give God the glory for it. You understand what I'm saying? And everybody knows that God did it because they know you couldn't have done it. Everybody knows that Eleazar couldn't kill 800 men, I mean, or 300 men at one time. And yet he did it. And the glory goes to the Lord for that. God is looking still today and takes note today of men and women and young people who will trust him Trust in the Lord and love the Lord more than their own lives. Trust the Lord and love Jesus Christ more than their own lives and stand. Not, he's not, I'm not saying that we're called to go be obnoxious. I'm not called that we're trying to get a news crew to follow us around. I'm telling you that we're called to stand for God in the midst of a world that doesn't know him and doesn't want to know him. And we're called to take a stand for truth, for the truth, even if we have to stand and fight alone. You can say, well, I'm no hero. I'm not David and Goliath. But that, that should be 
That boldness and that willingness to stand should be a characteristic of every Christian. Everyone that's born of the Spirit of God, from our youngest children in here that truly know Jesus, to the oldest saint in here. That should be the characteristic of every one of us because God himself lives in us. We have a treasure where? In an earthen vessel. Earthen vessel is just this plain old thing that gets sprained ankles and our hair falls out, right? And, and we have this treasure of Almighty God. You shall receive power. That's why he told the early, early church. He didn't say, go get him, tiger, go out there and turn the world upside down. That's not the first thing he said. He commanded them, don't you leave Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. These were people that were already saved. And he says, you're going to receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Then you'll be witnesses unto me all over this globe. Then you'll be witnesses. If you have, you're a Christian and have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's for you. Amen. I want to encourage you. Pray and seek the Lord. Pray until you receive. There's no substitute for that. Bible studies are not a substitute for that. The Holy Ghost is a gift from God in the fullness. Every believer has the Holy Spirit indwelling them at, at salvation. We're saved, but we're born of the Spirit. But the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is what we're talking about here, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. And guess what? They waited. Guess what? They received. And guess what? They turned the world upside down. Those that were hiding out and fleeing when Jesus was arrested were proclaiming Christ on the streets and getting arrested and getting sawn asunder and getting beheaded and getting crucified upside down because they, they, they received boldness from the Lord. That should be the characteristic of every believer. You know, every believer is called to present his, his or her body as a living sacrifice unto God. A living sacrifice. We place our life on the altar He's not killing us, but we're dying to ourselves to where the only life that we have now is the life of Christ in us. And he can do with us as he chooses. The altar is a place of death. I'm present to present my body as a living sacrifice to God. Every believer. Okay? Every believer. Every believer is called to, to love not our lives unto death. Like those that are mentioned in Revelation that overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony, and love not their lives under death. Paul said, I die daily. Paul said, we, are, we as apostles were continually, I'm paraphrasing, delivered over unto death. I know what it's like, he's saying, to live in peril and to live facing death at every moment of my life for the cause of Christ, okay? Not for equal rights for this, that, or the other, but for the cause of Christ, doing what's right. He knew what it was like to face that and, and to fight a good fight. Every, every believer is called to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. We do it by our holy living. We do it by preaching of this gospel. You say, well, people don't believe that stuff anymore. Well, God believes it and he's called us to it and that's how we're called to live. The Apostle Paul, among brothers, among Christian brothers, 
said this. They, they were said, don't go back to Jerusalem, Paul. You know, something bad's going to happen to you there. He says, none of these things move me. He said, the Holy Ghost testifies that everywhere I go, bonds and afflictions wait me. Wherever I go, Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, wherever I go, bonds and afflictions wait me. They're waiting there to greet me when I get there. So what is he going to do? Hide out and not go? Paul says, none of these things move me, neither count on my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. None of those things move me in a sense. They're not going to be what steers my life, guides my life, determines what I do or don't do. Those are not my motivation. The Holy Ghost already showed me that's what my life's going to be like. And I'm going and I'm going to go with joy. And I'm going to finish what God's called me to do. A hero, right? A hero of the faith. And you and I, I'm bring this to a close, you and I are born again. But we're also born again and living for Jesus in perilous times, which we've talked about a lot recently. What are we saying? What should I do? You know what we should do? All of us, draw near to God. Draw nearer to God. Settle it in your hearts. Stand for the truth. Stand for what's right. Stand upon the rock of your salvation, Jesus Christ, which cannot be moved, the Lord himself. Stand alone if you have to and fight. Contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints at the same time when many are abandoning it. Because the Bible says in our day, this day, in the days preceding the rapture, for sure, that, that some will depart from the faith. The thought is that instead of you know, instead of the church just getting uh, more and more numerous, that there are going to be people that are in the faith and in church and call themselves Christians. Some may be, some may not. I'll let God decide that. But some will depart from the faith. And we, we stand alone sometimes. Thank God for this church that we're not alone. But there are times that we do stand alone. You know what, though? When many are abandoning the faith, God's not going to abandon any of us. God is not going to abandon any of us. He won't fail you. He desires to bring about a mighty victory through your testimony, through your stand for Jesus, that weak earthen vessel that's nothing in itself, and I'm nothing in myself. The Lord wants to show himself strong. I want to read this, just, you know, the, where the Lord is addressing the seven churches in Asia and Revelation. There's only two that didn't get rebuked. And one of those is the church of Philippi. And that is this church. And the Lord says, I know thy works. Behold, I've set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength. You'd think he would say you're just mighty. And, and this is one he did not rebuke. You have a little strength. You have a little strength. And you've kept my word. And has not denied my name. The Lord takes note of that. You just, you have a little strength. But you're not worshiping false gods. You're not selling out because persecution's coming your way. He says, you got a little strength. You've kept my word and has not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I've loved you. There's something about standing for God, y'all. When nobody else does. 
where God's going to be right there with us. He's not going to leave us. I'm closing with this. Everybody's heard. It's kind of a cliche. Remember the Alamo, right? Remember the Alamo. It's a little mission. It was a little mission fort in what is now San Antonio, Texas. There was a famous battle there that was fought after a 13-day siege, February 23rd, 1836, through March the 6th, 1836, there was a 13-day siege, and it was just a little three-acre place of land with a mission, mission fortress kind of thing there. I think the walls were like 10 to 12 feet tall. 200 Texas uh, soldiers were inside of there, and they were fighting for their independence from Mexico. That was at that time a Mexican territory. General Santa Ana was the, the general of the Mexican army. The estimates were that there were 6,000 6, Mexican soldiers, 200 Texan soldiers inside the fort, inside the mission. It wasn't really the fort, it was a missionary outpost. And they were led by Jim Bowie and Colonel William Travis. And this is where we hear the famous saying they've been besieged for 13 days and they were offered an opportunity to come out with your lives just surrender and come on out and spare your lives they had their wives many of them had their wives and children in there by the way as well and it was colonel travis who got his sword and made a line in the sand inside that fort and drew a line and said who wants to stay and fight I mean, here it is. Here's your choice. Who wants to stay and fight? Come on this side of the line. Who doesn't? Walk on out the door. They, they said your lives will be spared. I can tell you this. That all 200 soldiers died. Not that I'm crying about the Alamo, by the way. All 200 soldiers died. Now, some of the women and children, they, they, and when the battle was over, they came out and were, were, were spared. But all 200 soldiers stayed and they fought and they died. You say, well, they were stupid. They just lost their lives for nothing. Actually, that battle, where all of them were killed in their stand, became what rallied the people, became the rally cry, and they won the victory under uh, Sam Houston for their independence. It sparked the people, it sparked those of Texas to fight. And I know it's become cliche, remember the Alamo, it's almost like a joke. It was no joke then. They were, they made a choice. And there's a choice to stand for God. You don't have to, by the way. You can sell out, you can be like Demas. Demas was one that we read in some of the earlier epistles, walked with Paul and served the Lord with Paul. He was a fellow laborer with Paul in the gospel. When it gets to the end of Paul's life, Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Some point he sold out. People sell out. You don't have to serve God. You don't have to stand for God. And the question comes to you and me, these of the Alamo stood and fought. God brought a great victory as a result, okay? Shama, who we opened with this morning, when everybody else fled, he stood and defended that little plot of beans 
and God brought a great victory through his hand when everybody else had left. And I'm just asking you this morning, and it's the same question I'm asking myself, what are you going to do? For some reason, y'all, I know what the reason is, the Lord is preparing this body, this body. I know his body, but I can't speak for every church, all right? I can't speak for what he's doing here. God is preparing this body for what's ahead. One of my prayers for this church every day, I, I pray, y'all, I pray and pray and pray. Y'all pray as well. But when I pray for this church, one of the things I pray for this church is, Lord, prepare us for what you have for us next. Amen. Prepare us for what's coming next. And I can promise you it's more than this building, which is a beautiful building, and I thank God for it. But I thank God for the car dealership, and I thank God for our den. We met there. He's, Lord, prepare us for what you have for us next. And y'all, through the word of God, through these messages, through our prayer meetings, through our fellowship, he is doing that. Something very specific in God's mind that he is getting us ready for, spiritually ready for. Getting the children ready for, because they're not always going to be children. Getting all of us ready for, he is preparing us for what is next. He's doing that. Not in some weird, mysterious way. He's doing it through the Word of God. He's doing it through strengthening our faith. He's doing it by helping us to see the day in which we live and what's going on in our day and what we're facing, the enemy we're facing, and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God, even to the pulling down of strongholds. He's preparing us for that. And when the day comes, we're in it now, but we'll know, I guess, when a moment really comes. When the moment comes, are we going to flee or are we going to stand and fight even if we stand alone? Are we going to stand and fight even if it's costly? Are we going to stand and fight when others should stand and fight with us? And where, where are you going? Where are you going? And they don't. Are we going to stand and fight? Because God has called us to. He will be right there with us. At no moment will he not be there with us. He's going to be there with us. He's going to strengthen us. And I want to be right there with him. And I want to be right there in his will. Y'all stand with me this morning. I always pray. I know some people are, are, are concerned about the sicknesses and everything. But I still pray that these altars are filled. Or that you find a place where you can separate from somebody. There's an altar in the back. You know, you turn around at your chair. But before we just rush out of here, that you, this is a, a kind of message, I think they all are, where the Lord is putting that question to you. What are you going to do? Well, Lord, I want to stand. Give me the strength to stand. Help me to stand. That's what we're doing this morning. We're going to talk to Jesus about it. We know it's the right thing to do, but God, help me to do it. Make a commitment to do it by the grace of God, trusting that the Lord is going to give you the strength when the moment comes. But now's the time to prepare. You don't prepare when an arrow is flying your way. You prepare beforehand. Okay? And this is what we're doing now when we take our time at the altar. Y'all find a place and meet with God. Lord God. Oh Lord, the altars are open. Y'all come. Don't, don't wait on me. Father, we just come before you. We bow before you. God, you know what we have need of before we even ask it, Lord. You know, Lord, that we're... We're these weak earthen vessels and unwise and foolish even, Lord. 
in ourselves. But Lord, that's who you choose. And that's who you've chosen. And you've chosen us. You've chosen the young people here. You've chosen the children here. The older saints, the married couples, the singles. You've chosen us, God, to live for Jesus at such a time as this. And God, we want to do it by your grace, Lord. Help your